Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. the far post podcast we are your sam kerr injury support club today uh we had grand plans for our comeback pod we were going to talk about the festive period of dub because there's been some cracking goals some very interesting results but um we all woke up on monday the 8th of january and all of our lives changed for the worse um, because the big news that we have all woken up to, and I'm so sorry if this is how you are finding out, but Sam Kerr has done her ACL. This is the second time I've had to deliver Sam Kerr injury-related news in the last 12 months, and I'm not happy about it. But um, what we know is that Chelsea have confirmed that she has done her knee while they were on a pre-return-to-play camp in Morocco. Um, it's her second knee that she's done. And because it literally happened mere hours ago, we all feel bad. So we're going to talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the pod late, uh, the dub rather later, but we all feel really bad about the Sam Kerr thing. Before we crack in, though, we still want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Uh, in every shade of sad, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Fisher-Milk, <laughs> Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington. So, besties, um, h- how you feeling? How you doing? I think, I think the mood gets sums up by the fact I got told off for wearing a white T-shirt when it came to record and got told to go and change into black. Um, which right. I think was a, a little dramatic, but you know, if there's ever a time to be dramatic, then it's right now, hey. You it's just Sam Kerr's knee, Harrow. All right, exactly. That's, That's what I mean. Drama. That's what I said. If there's ever a time for us <laughs> to be dramatic, it's right now. Um, it's devastating, isn't it? Like that—that's just the first word that comes to mind for me. Um, ACLs are always devastating. This is a second, um, as you mentioned, Marissa. Um, I think there's been a little bit of confusion on the timeline with this one. 2011, she did her knee, um, and she also had another knee injury with Perth Glory in 2014 that, in, that ended her season that wasn't an ACL, and then she had the foot ligament rupture. So I think a lot of people before um, this World Cup where she had the calf injuries probably thought she's had a pretty clean run of injuries, but early in her career, poor Sammy was uh, pretty injury-prone and um, has had before this World Cup been quite um, quite fortunate. Or there's not It's not just fortunate, like obviously hard work goes into it, preparation, being an elite athlete, all those sorts of things play a role too. But, yeah, I just think after the after the World Cup where she was meant to be the star, the face, and then, you know, was very limited in terms of her involvement, um, the work, the Olympics probably um, is the thing that everyone went, well, at least Sam Kerr, she, she's backfiring. She's got over these these carved niggles and she'll be right to, to really star. And um, I know that the line from Matilda's staff and uh, Football Australia and Chelsea and all that will be, They've got to, you know, fully assess, see what the full damage is. Has she done any other ligament damage, like her MCL or anything like that, to, to put a recovery timeline on it. But 
um we're recording on the 8th of january the the olympics or what july august it's um she's out of the the qualifiers against uzbekistan and you'd have to think you would have to be the most optimistic person in the world to think she is going to play in those olympics um she's uh 30 years old now um she's a super dynamic player who you know uses her speed her agility her leap um i think even the most optimistic person would say that getting back is going to be a if if not impossible, like a, a very, 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 very slim possibility. You only, only need to look at the, the setbacks Akaya Simon had from coming to come back from an ACL prematurely to see the risks involved with that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's devastating. Um, I think, you know, it's devastating for women's football. It's devastating for the Matildas. It's obviously shattering for Sam. But I think it's devastating for football, not just women's football, but football on the whole. I think, um, you know, she maybe doesn't get the Ballon d'Ors and those sorts of things, Sam, but... I think as far as um, iconic footballers go who um, capture the imagination and the attention of, of football fans and non-football fans all over the world, Sam is the player, right? She's charismatic. She's fun to watch. Um, she makes football look fun. She makes it really enjoyable. She's a brilliant footballer. She's a star. Um, we, we saw the other side of her, you know, as, as a leader as well when she was dealing with that injury. So, yeah, it, it's devastating. Like... I like woke up to, as we all did, to different group chats um, or like I, I had, you know, sort of media ones with the official alerts and then a couple of people reacting. Friend of the pod, Matt Coleman, obviously, <laughs> who's in, in Qatar, sees, sees the news when it was released, which was about 2.30 a.m. Um, Australian time on Monday. And, yeah, it, it's devastating. Um, I think we'll go into it, but, yeah, guys, I mean, I was just – I don't know if I was lost for words when I saw it, but I was just gutted. Like, so, so gutted. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, I'm my. Uh, if I tried to sort of untangle the, the feeling that I had in my stomach when I first opened my phone this morning, rolled over, bleary-eyed, looked at my phone and saw all the Google alerts saying, Sam Kerr has something, 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 Sam Kerr. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Then went to Twitter saw the news from Chelsea, saw the news from the Matildas. And I was just, I was just so sad. I was just so sad, you know, and I was, I was sad for her. I was sad for the club. I was sad for the Matildas. I was just sad for like everyone because this is like the latest literal superstar of the game that has been taken out of it by this thing. And it's a thing that is really, really preventable as well. Like we know and we've talked in the past about how research into ACLs is still so behind because it it affects women athletes differently. Most research that has gone on in sports science has been done on male bodies, all of that kind of stuff. But it's not really a mystery anymore why women athletes tear their ACLs. We know that a combination of physiology and environmental factors contributes to this. We know that the overloading and the underloading of players contributes to this. We know that an increasingly packed schedule of matches contributes to this. We know that lots of international travel contributes to this. And I wouldn't be shocked if the fact that Sam Kerr was back in Perth to celebrate her engagement to Christy and then flying over to Morocco for this camp with Chelsea was potentially part of this whole thing, you know? Like she's one of the most travelled women athletes in football. It's it's kind of a, a miracle that she hasn't done this sooner. Um, and, and I'm just like, 
how many more of these are we going to have to cop before clubs and federations and, and FIFA start actually doing something seriously? Like there's been a lot of talk about, oh, yes, well, you know, this is a very serious issue and we need to re- like invest more resources. But do it then. These are your biggest assets. These are your biggest assets and they are flooding out of the game in droves because you are not actually doing the thing that you are saying that you need to do. So like, yeah, you can probably tell from my voice that I'm like cycling through the seven stages of grieving, like very rapidly at the pace of a star spinning. (laughs) But yes, I, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sad for her. I'm, I'm angry. I'm, um, I'm just, yeah, like, and I'm, I'm, I, when I look forward into the next 12 months, like, yes, we will talk about the Olympics in a second. Um, but like Sam Kerr is in her thirties now. Um, she's reached a point in her personal life, which seems like she's kind of moving towards a new chapter with, with Christy and the engagement and potentially even starting a family down the line. You know, what does this mean? What kind of sliding doors moment could this possibly be for her? You know? So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, but the other thing I wanted to mention as well, and I mentioned this pre-record, was that this this could actually, like the one silver lining that I can possibly find in this moment of complete darkness is I'm reminded of what Ellie Carpenter said when she returned back from her ACL injury, which is that it was actually one of the best things to happen to her psychologically because she was so burnt out. She was so exhausted she actually needed like an enforced break and her body falling apart on her was the thing that gave her that it gave her the space and the time to actually just reset and, and figure out her mental health and, and all of those things. And she has been able to come back, I think a much more positive person and a much healthier person because of that. So maybe that's something that Sam Kerr is also going to be, um, going through maybe this could be a great thing for her mental health and she will be able to come back from it at the end I think it was really sad Sam just all those factors you mentioned that it's come off the back of a break like it you mm. know normally when we see these ones happen it's because um you think of the Leah Williams and the Alexi Pateas where it's like workload 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 and I feel like the one thing with Sam that the Matildas of Ch- and Chelsea at least more recently have tried to get right is not overdoing it and then yeah I feel for her in the sense that people will analyse things like, oh, she went back to Perth and then she's gone to um, Morocco. And it's like, they, in some ways they can't win, right? Like they take a break, but then they got to travel and then they've got to go back. And then I feel like Chelsea, among at least among the, the top clubs, have been one of the better ones, right, in terms of, especially in the Emma Hayes era, in terms of managing women's bodies and getting these things right. But sometimes just awful luck comes into it sometimes as you say it can be situational it can be reloading it can be we don't it's happened in training a lot of these injuries do seem to happen in training it, it's I, I I really feel for Sam and those around her because there'll be a lot of people thinking what could we have done better could we have done this should we have let players do this um there's all these different scenarios and sometimes it is just you land the wrong way, you turn the wrong way. We don't know if it was, I don't think we've heard if it was contact or non-contact, you know, the classic ACL or a Kaya Simon one where she did cop that bit on the way through. Like you just don't know. It's, it's um, yeah, it's devastating. I think that would be the really difficult thing for everyone involved um, at the moment would be the what could we have done different? What could we have changed? And, you know, those conversations do have to happen so you can avoid 
try or do your best to avoid these situations. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad. And again, it, it's just devastating to see another elite player go down. Um, Angelo, you found out I think via our group chat <laughs> about the injury. What I mean, what was your reaction? Well, yeah, initially. I think, what did you say? Today's pod's going to be a devastating one. Um, and I had I had not switched onto socials beyond Messenger. Yes, brutal was the word, brutal one, which is true. This is brutal. Um, and my brain first was like, is this because Wanderers beat Perth? And then I was like, is this because it's so early? And then I was like, okay, there has to be something else here. So I went to the A-Leagues account and there was nothing, like it was just the result from the game. And then, and then, yeah, you know, it's everywhere at the moment. And I'm kind of, at the. I feel like I'm still processing it a little bit. Um, and I completely understand like the responses to try and understand why it happened so quickly because I can sometimes be like that in like an emergency situation. I'm like, or oh, it's like someone's going through a shit time. I'm like, okay, so what's the problem and how can we fix it? But at this moment in time, I'm just kind of like, just like letting it kind of settle. And, and yeah, there's a lot of emotions that we've touched on that I'm also feeling like just devastation is, I, I think I feel sad for her. Like there are some takes about what this means for the Matildas, but I just, yes, it sucks for the Matildas, but for Sam Kerr, it's just in terms of, I think, especially in the context of the World Cup and her not being able to participate in that as fully as everyone and she would have liked to, I think the timing of this injury as well is just like, yeah, terrible. Um, and I said to Marissa as well, I forgot the Olympics were happening. So when I first read it, I was like, oh, that's all right. Like we've got, it's a quiet year. And then I was like, (laughs) not much going on this year. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. So as, as the brain kicked into gear, yeah, the, 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 the true, uh, I guess context is sinking in. But yeah, it sucks. And I think you touched on Sam in terms of players being assets. I do wonder um, if high profile players who are some of the best in the world, if it has to be them doing their ACLs, it's going to push this along. And also in terms of like women's football, actually finally being something that you know, businesses realize can make the money. When is there going to be the next kind of step in that thinking of, oh, so we need to actually protect <laughs> um, the players yeah. who make us this money. Um, and I think, yeah, it's an interesting, the the sports space in general is an interesting, I guess, kind of place for that because on the other side of that, there's just one one side of that coin is just like milk the most out of people's bodies and athletes' bodies and discard them. But on the other side of that, when you look at a a game like football, like that's just not feasible. And, you know, the um, FIFA Pro, I'm sure, will have hopefully something to say about this. But protecting players and making sure that players are 
like doing well physically and mentally that has good outcomes for everyone even if you're going in it with like a girl boss lens of like how much money can we make so yeah I hope that one of the other silver linings is that this such a high profile ACL will continue to push this conversation but because I feel like for the past couple of months it's just been a bit of a slog with so many incredible players that we've lost in like just the dub alone for example to ACLs and we're seeing and there's been other huge names that have done their ACLs like Lexi Pateas, Leah Williamson and that kind of thing but I feel like Sam Kerr I don't know if it's just like the Australia like a Australian bias I'm like she is special and this will be the person to kind of push it a lot but she is different she's like one of the most marketable footballers in the world at the moment and hopefully that yeah uh contributes pushes it like I said I keep saying pushing the conversation but not just push the conversation but yeah see um proper commitment to um investigating what causes ACLs and we've talked a lot about this in group chats as well but not just being like how are women's bodies different because like sure women's bodies might be different but like what are the things that we can tangibly do to prevent this and that requires sustained longitudinal research that requires a lot of money and a lot of investment and a lot of care and so anyway yeah there's the anger why haven't we done it before? We haven't done it before because no one gave a shit about women's football because it wouldn't make money. But now it's making money. Let's fucking go, all right? Anyway, sorry, that was the long garble. I'm angry as well. I'm very sad. But, like, in, in terms of the sadness, that is very much for me about Sam Kerr and what this means for her. But I hope she's, like, on a tropical island. Well, no, she won't be on a tropical island somewhere. She's she probably going to Perth or London. Yeah. <laughs> um. I hope she's doing as well as she can and she's not hearing any of this noise because I think that's the last thing that she needs right now to be at the center of this as well. Like it's, it's not just about her and that would be incredibly difficult. Um, I know sure. I'm sure she knows that. So yes. Sam is the sort of person that I think is quite good at turning off her social media and getting around the people that are close to her. I think if anyone had an experience that would have been Sam during the world cup, right. Of doing what's right. Um, I think it's worth touching on what this does mean for the Matildas. Like I sort of said off the off the top, I mean, they're not ruling her out. They're officially at this stage, they've not put a timeline on her return. They've not, you know, they're very unwilling to say, you know, Sam Kerr is out of the Olympics. But as we said off the top, it's incredibly difficult to see that happening, which means that once again we're uh, posed with the question of what do we do without Sam Kerr? Um, and I know the obvious thing to say, and everyone, and there's already been a few people pointed out, of course, that, the Matildas did really well when Sam Kerr was on the sidelines at the World Cup. But it's a very, it's a very different situation, right? Like in that situation, it was the players banding together and we need to perform. And then late, later in the tournament, Sam will come and she'll be part of our attack again. And she was also a captain from the sidelines. It's a very, very different situation when you are out altogether because there's a general rule, unless they work out some sort of situation, which is very rare, she's not going to be on the sidelines leading. Like they are going to be without Sam Kerr. For this time and as much as you know she'll be in the group chat she'll be talking they'll you know they'll all have these communications i'm sure her and steph catley will be talking so much and you, you'd think steph will step up and, and be the captain in her absence um she is um ultimately irreplaceable in the, the sense that she is one of the best players in the world right um 
so I guess the immediate focus will be those qualifiers in um, in Feb. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of the pod, Joe Lynch, about this. It's devastating the timing would say like a Holly McNamara being injured, um, an obvious um, experienced striker. Who, you know, that was a, a young striker who could come in and, you know, maybe seize a good opportunity. An experienced player who's out, you know, and Emily Gilnick is, has been sidelined for too long and really isn't in contention because she can't get her own body right. So we're in a bit of a difficult position. Now, I guess the question I would like to put to you guys is, is it is it Mary Fowler at nine time? Like we saw times where she's, you know, jumped into that role. She's played on the wing. She's played as a false nine. Do we see a, a reversion to the, say the, it's not a front two, but the two false nines of Fowler and Van Egmond? Do we see a change up? What is the immediate um, approach, I guess, is what I'd let's go. Sam, what do you think? Like for me, it, it seems pretty obvious that it's, it's going to, at least in the public eye, go full Mary Fowler time. And I think there's going to be a level of expectation to manage that as a, as a young and promising player as well. But she does seem like the obvious contender to play that role. Obviously, Caitlin Ford being, being another. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think those are probably the two um, contenders at the moment. But it, it depends really on uh, a couple of different like in-game things. It depends on the kind of, yeah, of formation. It depends on the opponent. It depends on, you know, all those kinds of things because like, yes, a Mary Fowler at nine could work, but in doing that you take her away from another position where she has been shining. So who do you put into that? You know, it's a sort of like – domino effect right and we've seen this happen in the past when we have had an, another kind of injury like remember back in in 2019 at the women's world cup and there was you know the the center back thing and we had uh, you know elise keller knight coming into left back and emily van egmont coming into the number six, six role you know like that this is but this is happening on in, like in the opposite direction on the field um yeah i i, I don't know how how tony gustafson solves this problem um, I mean, we saw we saw in the World Cup that without Sam Kerr, there are still multiple modes and methods to score goals, um, and it was great that both Mary Fowler and Caitlin Ford and Haley Rasso were able to step up and um, and perform in those moments without Sam Kerr. And I think it was a real testament to a lot of the work that the coaching staff had done behind the scenes that those players were able to do that and had the confidence to do that in themselves. Um, because for the longest time, like the Matildas have been revolving around Sam Kerr. That's been the whole game plan is like get the ball to Sammy and hope that she scores. And the really great thing about her absence during the World Cup was that we saw that the Matildas are, can be so much more than that. They have dimension. They have different kinds of talent, and it was it was really comforting, I think, for a lot of us to see some of those players step up um, in that moment and perform as well as they did. Particularly Caitlin Ford, I think she was Australia's probably most important player definitely um, in in those early stages because of that. 
So yeah, I'd be I'd be really curious to know um, what the strategy is from here. I suppose in terms of the like the the structure and the style of the Matildas going forward, whether he sticks with what we saw during the Women's World Cup, which is bringing in an Emily Van Egmond to play as the sort of the the number ten creative attacking midfielder with an Amiri Fowler pushing a little bit further forward, whether it's bringing Caitlin Ford into the middle and and putting on another quick winger like Courtney Vine or. Um, you know, I mean, who else have we, this is the other thing, like who else have we sort of got that's, that's floating around that we can put into those spots? Um, is, I mean, Remy Simpson, if you're ever going to take your Matilda's opportunity, like I'm not saying Remy Simpson is a Sam Kerr replacement, but I don't think she's scored yet. We've only sort of seen glimpses. If there's ever going to be a time, she's she's got to step up. And start scoring for Leicester if she wants to put her name up in lights. Um, I, I I don't think she's necessarily the answer. She's twenty four. The you look at the A League women, the top two available Australian goal scorers are, are Sophie Harding and, and Chloe Legazzo. To be honest, like um, that's what there is in the A League women. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see it. Like she's obviously not the Sam Kerr replacement. A Legazzo comes back into the frame. I already mentioned Emily Gilnick's out injured. There's there's not a heap in terms of players available to step up. Like, yeah, it's, and it's it one I think really... this points to we've had this conversation, I think, um, kind of subtextually in the past. I don't know if we've really actually tackled it head on, but maybe the Sam Kerr injury is sort of the, the gateway into this conversation. But why is Australia seemingly structurally so bad at producing strikers? What, like, you know what I mean? We haven't had really a, a good crop of strikers since probably the generation before this one, you know, like I'm, I, I don't, I, you look around the A-League women, you're like, who are the next big strikers coming through? They're kind of like the next gen. We don't really have anyone in the age bracket between sort of 20, 20 and 25, who is the next Sam Kerr, someone who, you know, you look at other national teams, you see the substitutions that they make uh, during friendlies or whatever, and you see who the next person is. You see them, you know, being sort of slowly drip fed into um, into that particular role and you see how talented they are because they're overseas playing club football in you know, France or Italy or Spain or whatever, but we don't, we don't have them. Why? No, Why don't we our other talents are elsewhere, right, Sam? Like yeah. a, a Daniela attacking, attacking midfielder who can play on the wing at a pinch. I think Holly McNamara is that player that can play anywhere across a front four, but her body just isn't holding up, right? That's the player yeah. that would have been getting drip fed in and probably would have been getting chances to start with Sam Kerr out. But unfortunately, she's about two months ahead of Sam Kerr in this, or I think it's about two months now, ahead of Sam Kerr, six weeks ahead of Sam Kerr in this knee rehab situation. So she is not going to be available. Um, and as I said, like if your, your Nespex options are, are Sophie Harding and a, a Chloe Legazzo, who we love Chloe Legazzo, I wouldn't be shocked to see her get back in the frame, but she's not going to be there as the number nine, right? Um, it, it says a little bit about the um, the availability stocks. Um, yeah. I even just got a text from my mum saying awful news about Sam Kerr. So that just shows how, how far this is going, if I'm getting texts left, right and centre about it. Um, but, yeah, any any thoughts from you guys? I, I think um, they're going to have to revert to the, the World Cup style. Maybe it's Fowler and Van Egmond playing off each other with um, Caitlin Ford on the left. The other thing as well with in terms of, depth with wingers is Courtney Vine can barely get on the park at the moment as well. She only just got back for a couple of games from that hammy and she's 
gotten injured again. Um, it's a pretty difficult situation. There aren't too many. I think those younger strikers that were maybe quite liked at young Matildas, like a Briley Henry, hasn't really kicked on. There just doesn't seem to be too much out there. It does seem like at least for February it's going to be a matter of tried and tested. We know what these players can do. Um, and then it, it, the onus really is on players like a Remy Seamson, for example, to to come through and really show something because at the moment, I mean, it, it, it looks not dire in this sense, but there is a, a void there. And if you are a striker or a like-minded sort of player, this is the time where you do have to kind of say, well, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and really try and make a play for one of these spots that's opened up. Marissa, you made a suggestion pre-pod. I did what now? No. Was that Alana Kennedy? Alana Kennedy. (laughs) I believe I rejected that suggestion (laughs) from one Anna Harrington. Because um, ah, yes. you put it out there, Tony thinks about it, Tony does it. We don't need to encourage <laughs> hey, that. Tony was thinking that about it and doing it long before that? I made that. Yeah, he's <laughs> been thinking about it for years now. But I think that's the thing. I think you guys, nines, baby. A real, <laughs> you guys have made a really good point in the sense that the immediate solution is obvious because we literally mm. saw the small sample size of it in the World Cup. And I think... It will work and it will be fine. But as we saw in the World Cup, the issue is going to be, as you guys have discussed, who's the substitute if plan A doesn't work? Who's the substitute um, or the the next player in if either a Fowler or a Van Egmont gets injured? We don't have them. We haven't had Mm. them. And when we've tested other players, um, you know, I think of a Remy Seamson who hasn't shown a lot but also hasn't had the club form, has had injuries as well, so that hasn't really worked out. I think of a Larissa Crummer where we were wasting our time putting her everywhere but the number nine. Maybe it would have actually been she really might be fun to, you know, when she was still quite involved in the uh, the fold to be playing her as a striker for times like these. And I think she's doing well um, in Norway, so maybe in she Norway, does... Right? return um but beyond those two players i uh, there's crickets uh there's a uh a, a yellow and foam finger like that in my mind it's just a desolate wasteland and a giant yellow and green foam finger that says go tillies and that's about it for the striker store <laughs> <laughs> well, like and you have a last at least even last season you had players like melina air scoring and yeah. she's just completely fallen off the radar at newcastle yeah. like had the injuries and and not been scoring. I think Michelle Heyman has entered the group chat. I was <laughs> literally about to say that too. But Michelle Heyman's not even been scoring that much either. No. I know she's got five goals for the season, but last season she probably had a better case. Mm. Um, but to be honest, like I, I know she's talked about she feels like she's completely off the radar, but you, you have to be looking at all these options, right? Because I think the other thing is, and this is a conversation we sort of had around the Socceroos with the Asian Cup, um, maybe not on this pod, but generally with them calling up a Bruno Fornaroli, for example, who's 36 years old, was if you're going to these big tournaments, you're going in there to try and win it, right? They're not development tournaments and especially not the Olympics where you have a reduced squad size. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to look at these players and go, um, well, you, you, there's there's just you've just got to pick the players that you think can win it. The thing with the Olympics is, as I said, smaller squad size. Amy Sayer. Does she get used more as a nine? I, was about to I say, think yeah. that's a real possibility. 
I think she was already being the, the sort of first player up when Kerr was being taken off or is maybe that next contender to go into into one of those nine roles, especially with, as you mentioned, Sam, you, you move Mary Fowler inside, you lose what she can give you in a wide position or further up in sort of like a, a 10 role. Like, again, it depends on the formation, but Saya seems like a player who can work really well. I think, um, I think Tamiki Yallop's place, if it wasn't already locked in, is is now because she is one of those options that you can plug and play anywhere. Um, but I think Amy Say is probably going to be the one, now that we think about it, they're going to have to put some real good time and work into making sure she gels with all these players as a starter, with a Mary Fowler, with a Caitlin Ford, with an Emily Van Egmond when the time suits, with a Hayley Razzo. Like, I think that's going to be the player that they're going to have to lean on because she's tall, she's athletic, she is very smart. Um, she knows how to work as both a nine and a ten. She's super talented. So, if you're Amy Sayer, now we're talking about it, you've got to be the player that goes, "Yeah, this I'm going to make this one. I don't, I don't even talk about our Emmy Simpson. Don't even talk about a Larissa Crummer because I'm going to make this position my own." So, maybe she is the player who could benefit the most. Um, well, not benefit the most because everyone tends to benefit when they play with Sam Kerr because she's such a selfless player who. <laughs> you know, brings their teammates into the game. But in terms of responsibility and more starting minutes and really locking down a spot for that Olympics and getting that that ticket to Paris, she has to loom as the, the most likely, right? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm interested. Do you think it's a better use of time? Because what, we've got three windows until the Olympics and one of those is the qualifiers. Is it a better use of time and energy to try and like kind of, yeah, safe proof the system? So make sure that we've got the players to back up an Emily Van Egmond and a Fowler and just like commit to that or spend time trying to find and invest in someone like a Sayer to bolster the front line. I don't know I, if you were in Tony's hat shoes. That those are the only two options as well. There's nothing else that he can do. But yeah, I'm just curious if what you guys would think. I think Sayers already in the frame. I think the Olympic qualifiers to date so far and the recent friendly show that she is the one that you turn to. Especially, you know, um, obviously didn't have Sam Kerr those most recent friendlies um, against Canada. I think she's probably the most likely. I think the other intriguing factor in all this is. The talk about Tony Gustafson's future isn't going away either. And, like, you know, the most recent reports is I think the Sweden men are looking at him as a potential assistant. The reports out of there are the FA are um, sort of blocking that from happening. Is that, you know, is he going to stay through this? Is he going to stay through to the end? Sorry, through to the end of the Feb qualifiers? Is he going to stay through to the end of Paris? Um, all of a sudden, it's a, it's a pretty. Um, Sorry, it's a, it's a massive blow to everything that you're creating. It's your captain, it's your leader, it's your best player. Like there's all those little factors as well. And how does he handle these tweaks? Because if he's only going to be here for a short time, is is it about making the most of what he can do right now? Which for him will probably be try and do the best <clears throat> at the Olympics with a, a Fowler, a Van Egmond, a Sayer, these players that are there rather than necessarily looking too far into the remit for the future because, you know, anyone that you start to look to drip feed in now isn't going to have any impact in Paris, right? And um, the thing as well, I will briefly note with Sam is 
I'd be inclined to take my time with her. I didn't mention it off the top because 2025 is the off year, right? There's no major tournaments next year. So there's going to, you know, unless you were desperate to rush her back for the Olympics, a very, very unlikely position there. You're going to take your time with her, at least at international level, to make sure she's fully right ahead of a new cycle and, you know, what's probably going to be a home Women's Asian Cup at the start of 2026 as well, right? So... Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how the whole Tony situation will will affect things as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to um, like the Women's Asian Cup where that squad that was picked was kind of a weird combination between like experienced players who can win a tournament and development players who were there for the for the ride. And it, and as we kind of saw, it didn't really work. Like there was a weird kind of tension between those two um intentions I suppose like should we be using this international moment to um, give these players an opportunity to experience what uh, this World Cup is going to be like or are we actually going out to win this thing and it seems like they were caught between kind of two extremes and then ended up doing really nothing um, when, when I think about the Olympics you know they they really need to be very clear about what they want from the Olympics are they going to win it because if they're going to win it you can't bring in a player who hasn't been playing with the Matildas for the last 12 months. You can't bring in a player who hasn't been showing at club level that they are up to the international standard. You can't, you know, I think it, it, there are players that self-eliminate by virtue of clarifying what we want from the Olympics. And if the goal is to try and get a medal, as it appears to be from all the noise that's coming out of Matilda's camp, I think we pretty much see the World Cup team. And we see the same combinations of players because they've already got that chemistry. They already know how they work together. They already know that they can score goals together without Sam Kerr. We don't see very much experimentation because experimentation takes time. And as we have seen over the Gustafsson era, experimentation, it, it's, it, it doesn't feel great. And it often leads to bad games and it leads to bad results. And we don't have very many opportunities to do that. We've got these two games against Uzbekistan, which all, you know, full respect to Uzbekistan. We don't know very much about them. They could be an amazing team, um, but we're, we're pretty confident that we can get through both of those games unscathed. Is that going to be the final opportunity that we have at the international level to to test out what's going to happen pre-Paris? Pre, pre like, is it going to be another window, a couple, like one or two more friendlies before we get to the Olympics? What can we do in that? I mean, if if I'm Tony, I'm just thinking that the Olympics is the is the goal. Getting a medal at the Olympics is the goal, um, and this is now the final stages. In the same way that the final six months leading into the World Cup was consistency in chemistry, consistency in chemistry, consistency in chemistry. This also needs to be that. So I'd be very very um, surprised if there are any other players who have been on the vast periphery who were brought back in because of this. Yeah. And I think you rule out Akaya Simon, who just, I don't know when she'll ever be on the park again. I think the only players you can see coming in from that World Cup squad are, are Amy Sayer, um, who was the effectively unlucky last player to miss out. Um, and the only other sort of players I could see actually coming into the mix, um, especially with, as I said, a McNamara, are your Crummer, Legazzo, and if she's fit and plays with Emily Gilnick, just because the players know them, they know what they bring, they know their training intensity, good characters, plug and play, you know what you're going to get, right? Like they're the only players I can sort of see coming in. I don't see a gamble being taken on a 
you know, your Charlie rules, those sorts of younger players coming in. I, th- I think you're right, Sam. I think the squad's going to be smaller than the World Cup. I think the, it will be the bare minimum changes. I think it will be Sam Kerr will be out. Kai Simon will be out. I know the squad is also reduced from there. But when you're looking at that overall player pool, I, I see sort of those three to four names coming into the fold and, and really that'd be it. And Jada Wyman being the other one, Lydia Williams went off on crutches on the weekend as well. So we'll see how bad that ankle injury is. I think it was an ankle. But, yeah, I, I see very little change. I don't think we'll have any surprises um, in this February squad. And unless someone absolutely blows shit out of the water, we're, we're not seeing any surprises come the Olympics either, assuming the Matildas qualify. God willing. Um, yeah. Shit's fucked um, is my official contribution to this podcast. Um, yeah, I think obviously we will talk more about this, about potential replacements, about what the Tillies look like um, as we learn more and we know more and we get definitive timelines. Um we said we were going to do a big board for an Olympic squad in January, so that one's going to be fun to do, friends. Be a bit of a smaller board now. <laughs> it's like, um, mm, okay, yeah, some decisions have been made for us, it would appear. Um, also, just one really quick thing that I probably should have mentioned off the top, um, you kind of alluded to it, just the ACL fatigue um, is real and massive because I follow a Twitter account called ACL Women's Football Club and this person is tracking all of the kind of women's football top tier ACLs. Uh, There were 145 in 2022, 161 in 2023 and it's taken us seven days to get the first major one of 2024. So no wonder we all feel like shit. Not only do we have this parasocial relationship with Sam Kerr, be it as Matildas fans, as Chelsea fans, some of us as both, but there's also just it feels like there's constant ACLs and it drains your soul a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's crap. We hate it, but... We'll talk about the dub next week. We will do Olympic big boards next week. Obviously, happy 2024. Not really, but it's our first pot back for the year. Um, It's going to be another big year. But, yeah, we hope we have helped you through this trying and difficult time as we enter the uh, the national week of mourning for Sam Kerr's ACL. But as always, we are over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, all of the usual pod spots. If you want to have a chat to us, even if it's just to be sad, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, a smooth and speedy, speedy recovery, Sam. We really do hope that it is uh, fast as fuck boy to quote you. <laughs> I say this like Sam Kerr is listening to the pod. Anyway, please.